0: Okay, so welcome back. We're in uh, we're in uh, the third uh, third lesson, I guess, or not third lesson, but the third time we're doing this. So, um, you know, I want to. Uh, I should have told all of y'all uh, last time to uh, to read up on, uh, on uh, um, lessons uh, from the book. I think everybody should have had the book by now. If you don't, just let us know. Uh, so we should have read up. Uh, Chapters two and three—that's what we are covering. But uh, uh, but I, I forgot to remind everybody. So if you read ahead of this uh, in these chapters, you now what we we'll, what we'll be covering is pretty much uh, you know in line with what's in the book. There's not a whole lot uh, extra. You know, I'll probably bring in some illustrations and some more explanation. But for the most part, we'll be sticking to the book. So if you read ahead, then it'll help you to grasp a little bit and help you to maybe uh, formulate some questions you might have uh and uh, so before i forget i just want to uh, ask you to next week for next week please read chapter 4 in the book it's called the the, the title of the chapter is you are in charge okay you are in charge so uh, please do read that up uh, these are all uh, you know these are not really very long chapters um you know if you look at uh, chapter 4 for example it's uh, uh you know it's basically uh what around uh, maybe seven or eight pages, you know, ten pages maximum, eight, nine, ten pages. So, uh, so I suggest that you all read that. It will certainly help you as you uh, as we go through the class. Uh, you know, to uh, to have read it ahead of time, uh, and uh, and please do uh, please do uh, uh, you know ask uh, questions uh, on the on the chat. Okay, I'm going to keep my chat open here so that I can see it um, and uh, you know if you have questions you can send it to me privately or uh, uh, you know uh, if you don't have an issue with others seeing who you are you know do it publicly it doesn't matter please do uh do feed your questions and you try to them. so we're going to start off talking today today's subject i'll get to that it's shaping influences and godward orientation but uh just to um just to recap a little bit uh you know we have uh we have these uh um, uh, you know, the advice uh, a little bit from, from the last uh, couple of weeks. Um, so three key concepts, right? One is authority uh, that, that describes a parent's relationship to the child. Uh, we'll talk more about that next week in the chapter called You Are In Charge. Uh, the second concept is shepherding, right? Which is what, what does the parent do, right? Authority is the parent's relationship to the child. Uh, What does a parent have to do? It is to shepherd the child, right? Or shepherd the child's heart. That's the title of this thing. And then the third thing is the centrality of the gospel, that the central focus of parenting is not about raising good kids. It's not about, uh, although that might be an outcome you achieve uh, and you want to achieve, but that's not the the central theme or the central goal. The central goal is to infuse the gospel, the good news of uh, you know of, of salvation and transformation uh, you know through the uh, death of the lord jesus Christ and that's why um, you know this uh, you know this this uh, course is not a secular course based on uh, you know concepts from psychology and psychiatry and all these other fields um, you know but rather uh, it is it is founded on the Word of God and in fact as a result of that you might find some things that, uh, that we talk about that may not align with the latest and greatest thinking. And we know that that thinking tends to change, right? Over time. So, uh, you know, uh, but, uh, but the, cent- the central goal here is to, is, is really to focus, uh, the central focus of our parenting that we're talking about here is to get the child, you know, to get the child to be aligned with the gospel, to, to get that gospel message. You know, the message of man's sin, the message of uh, God's love, the message of God's uh, condemnation of his son, uh, you know, the man's sin and the death that comes from it and God's love, which led him to give up his only begotten son so that anyone who believes in him will have everlasting life. And then the transformation power that, of the gospel when once you have believed, okay, and then he continues to work in your heart to change you, to make you more make your character more like the character of the Lord Jesus that's the that's the the, the entirety of the gospel and that's what uh, you know that, that's what your goal as a parent you know in the 16 17 18 years that you have with your child is you want to shape them you want to shepherd them uh, and 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 get them to really understand the truth of the gospel okay and we'll talk a little bit about it today where you know if we don't have the right goals we end up with children who you know who who really do not have that Godward orientation. Okay, their orientation ends up being to do things to please people, and some of those things might be good things. They might seem like godly things from the outside, but their heart is really not right. And a lot of uh, lot of believer families end up with kids. Uh, you know, their kids end up in that state. Uh, you know, and we ourselves have experienced that uh, in um, you know in uh, in many cases. So last week we talked about the heart, right? About how, uh, you know, behavior comes from the heart, right? And, uh, uh, you know, our goal in raising our children should be to address the heart issues, okay? So that should be the focus, not behavior. We want, we want the right behavior that comes from the right attitude in the heart, okay? The right attitude of the heart. And, uh, you know, uh, fixing aberrant behavior Uh, you know, can be done without it resulting, without it coming from uh, the right attitude in the heart. So you might have children who have the wrong attitude in the heart, but they do the right thing simply because of social pressure or because they don't want to get in trouble uh, or they know that that makes them look good and they want to look good, right? But but the the key thing you have to get to is get beyond what you see on the outside to what's really in the heart and what that last verse there on that slide says, uh, you know, Matthew 15, 8, The Lord Jesus Himself says about the Pharisees and the scribes, he says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You know, what the Lord wants is is our hearts to be close to him. And, And same thing we want or we ought to want for our children is that you know, when they grow up and leave us, that their heart is in the right place. Their behavior, you know, needs to come from that heart. And sometimes their behavior may not always be exactly what we would like, or or maybe it's not what people want to see but the question we have to get to is is their heart in the right place so what is motivating that behavior what does it show about their attitude okay so uh, we're going to uh, talk today about two things uh that affect children okay one is the relationship of the child to the shaping influence of life so you know when we go through life there are um, there are these these various influences that shape us okay uh, all of you, all of us myself, all of you have been shaped by various things, circumstances in your life, right so you know where you grew up um, how many kids were in your family, what your parents did, whether they were believers or not believers, whether um, you know you grew up in uh, you know in um, you know in a certain socio economic level versus not whether you have to struggle, whether your parents have to struggle through life versus you know you you grew up uh, you know basically having wanted uh, living in luxury. Uh, all of these things shape us, right? And some of these are, are things that can be controlled. Some of these are things that you cannot be controlled. Shaping influences go beyond just the things that we can control. So uh, you know the um, uh, there, there, again there are other influences that happen in our life that we can't control. So for example, uh, you know, maybe it's a death in the family. Maybe it's, uh, um, you know, some kind of a, of, a, of a crisis or a trauma that happens in the family, right? Things that, are, that we can't really control. And very often you'll find uh, kids later on in life that while we may not understand it, the fact is that they get, um, you know, severely influenced by those things. So for example, if you, if you didn't have a stable home life, you know, you had, uh, uh, abusive parents whether physically or verbally or whatever right um, you know all of these things have an influence uh, on life and when we'll, we we'll look at some of those it's very important to understand this um, and i'll talk about this a little later and the reason it's important is because we tend to go in one of two extremes um, you know as as uh, as parents sometimes sometimes we 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 assume uh, on one extreme we assume that if we get all of the shaping influences right uh, you know, the child will turn out, right? right? So if I, uh, let's just take, I mean, our typical, you know, scenario, right? So when, uh, you know, when we want our kids to go to Sunday school, we want them to uh, memorize the, the, the verses, we want them to pray, we want them to build all these good habits, right? And we think that if we surround them with that, we take them to church all the time and, and we do all of those things, those are all good things, okay? Um, I'm not suggesting we shouldn't do those, of course, But, uh, you know, one mistake that we make is assuming that that alone somehow guarantees that, uh, you know, your child will turn out right. So we've got plenty of examples that we can probably all of us can think about where kids who grew up in in really godly environments, what we would have regarded as godly families. Now, we may not have seen fully what was going on behind the scenes, um, you know, but uh, nevertheless, at least outwardly, it seemed you know, things were very good. Right. And then later on they, they leave. I mean, I remember uh, there's one uh, cousin of mine much younger than me. Uh, I, I remember her from the day she was born and how she was brought up, you uh, know, in, in a godly home of parents. Her father was an elder in the church at some point. Uh, and she was like the, you know, she was, uh, she was really doted on and, and she was, uh, you know, number one in the in the Sunday school in terms of memorizing verses, and from the age of two or three, a mother would teach her all these songs, and she would sing these songs when people would come to the house, and and all these kind of things. And 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 uh, you know, growing up, she was somebody that we all just adored and said, "Oh, what a what a great kid she is." And then, you know, fast forward many many years later, um, you know, she went completely off the deep end, okay, to the other side where, you know, today she is. Um, You know, she is, uh, doesn't believe in God, not only that, but doesn't believe in the God of the Bible, but believes in a sort of syncretistic new age kind of religion, Um, you know, and and just completely has rejected, uh, you know, Christianity. All right. Now, how does that happen? Right. Uh, So these kind of things make very clear to us that while shaping influences and the environment that we build around our children is important, we should do that. That in and of itself doesn't guarantee uh, the end result, okay? So that's one thing, one, one uh, you know, one extreme of how we respond to these shaping influences. The other side is we sort of assume that, you know, that a child is completely determined by shaping influences. What happens is that we, we assume that if they've had a bad uh, situation that they can never come out of it, right? There are, there are things that they can control. And we use it to explain things away. Okay? Uh, both of these are sort of extreme positions, and and not really where, uh, not really uh, you know the way that we should look at it. Uh, and um, you know the other the other set of issues is around the relationship of the child to God. That's the Godward orientation of the child. So from the time a child is born, he's got a certain he or she has got a certain understanding of God. Okay, we're all born with that. All humans are born with that, and uh, you know, how you shape that orientation or how, how you mold that orientation ultimately determines how they respond to the shaping. So if I go back to that example, you know, while that child being brought up was taught to do all the right things, okay, the fact is that her heart, you know, was not with God. Okay. And maybe even, uh, you know, and I'm speculating a little bit, a lot of those things that she was doing and getting the praise of people you know, perhaps that became, uh, you know, an idol. Okay, as she was growing up, that those things have become an idol in your life, okay? in the life of a child, where they do things for the, for the, the, the you know, the, um, um, the praise of people or or to impress people. And what happens then is when you move out of the environment of the church and the godly people and you go out into the world, uh, especially into college and things like that. You know, you get in with another crowd. And, and and if you are sort of worshiping that idol of you know people's approval and people's praise you know whatever they they praise or whatever they desire you know you'll tend to go in that direction right because you know whatever you know your orientation was never towards pleasing God so that's why we need to understand the shaping influences we need to uh, you know we need to make sure that our childs our children have the right shaping influences in their life but uh, you know, we also need to make sure that their hearts are molded towards that the right orientation towards God, and that's that connects back with what we talked about last week, which is you know, out of the heart come the issues of life. So, so these are the two things we're going to talk about today. Um, and so, let me uh, let me talk about shaping influences first. Uh, uh, and, uh, and by the way, if you have any questions, please do uh, post them you know, on the chat. Uh, I'll try to address them as we go or at the end. So, what are shaping influences? I've already described that a little bit. So, these are events and circumstances in a child's development years that prove to be catalysts for making him the person that he is or she is. Okay? So, again, these are things that happen uh, and the environment that the child is in during their growing years, and these uh, serve as catalysts. They have a, a deep influence on, on what happens with this child or who. Uh, who this child becomes? Okay, so uh, and we'll we'll look at them in a little bit more detail. And you can see these um, this little picture on the on the right there, which talks about some of those shaping influences, right? Like the structure of the family life, or the family values that the child grows with, or the roles in the family, or uh, you know how the family responds to failure in their life, or the history of the family. You know, what are the what are the uh, the different circumstances and the events that happen in the family life. Uh, how does a family resolve conflicts in their lives? And and the Bible, um, you know, if we look if we look to the Word of God, right? The Bible clearly says that um, that these uh, shaping influences are important. Okay, they are important. If we look at uh, some of the some of the verses here, so Deuteronomy six, you know, we read that all the time when, um, you know, when uh, when, we, uh, when we meet, uh, I'm sorry, when we do a dedication of, uh, of a baby, right? And, uh, and we're all familiar with it, right? It says, "Oh, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and, and these things that, uh, you know, that I've taught you, you shall teach them to your children and their children's children, and you shall, you know, put them on the doorposts and, and all of these kind of things, right? So, uh, you know, that clearly tells us that God uh, the bible and and god acknowledges that that these early experiences and the way that the child is brought up the the physical environment the the emotional environment around the child has an impact right uh, ephesians 6 right um, you know uh, uh, tells us that you are to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the lord right and 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 uh, and, and when you do that you know he will uh, he or she will have a blessing, right? And children are to obey their parents, right? Uh, and, and fathers and mothers are to raise them in the nurture and mission. of the Lord. Colossians three talks about the same thing. Okay? So, so what is your your child's personality, uh, his outlook on his or her outlook on life is very dependent on this, uh, you know, on 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 his experiences, the experiences they go through, and how they react to those experiences. Okay. Uh, so, as I said earlier. There are shaping influences that might be within our control. There are things that are outside of our control. So, you know, uh, an example of of something outside our control might be, let's say the family goes through a financial crisis where, you know, uh, the parents lose their jobs, they're unemployed, they have to live off savings, or they uh, they just uh, have to, you know, have to uh, live uh, without much, you know, there are other kids growing up around them who have, you know, get all these presents on their birthdays and all these kind of things, and And living in plenty, maybe the kids that go to school uh, are in a very different kind of situation, and these things can also shape them, right? Uh, And some of those things are outside the control of the parents. So, uh, so we just need to understand that. So let's let's look at each one of these. Okay, so what are some of the uh, shaping influences related to uh, family uh, life or the structure of family life? Okay, so you know what kind of family do you have? Now, many of our parents, for example, they grew up. In, uh, in a traditional family as opposed to a nuclear family. Nuclear family means that, you know, just have a father, mother, and the children, right? Um, you know, uh, uh, whereas traditionally, you know, you sort of grew up in you know, a home with, uh, with everybody, with an extended family, maybe your grandparents were there. You know, we don't have that kind of situation anymore. Uh, you know, the multi-generational family, uh, the number of children, okay? So, um, you know, the, the, the birth order of a child uh, you know, is, is important. Okay. Uh, so, uh, you know, the personality of a child is often uh, shaped by their birth order. And I, I get to see this, uh, you know, because I have, I have nine kids. Okay. And they all have different personalities. So I'll just take my firstborn who might be on the, on the thing here. You know, she, uh, you know, if I can, if I can say this, she's, she's uh, you know, very responsible, very independent, uh, you know, kind of person. And in many ways that has to do with the fact that she was a firstborn, she had a lot of siblings and the expectation was always there. And was that, you know, as she grew up, she would do things, right? To to help with the things in the home and all these kind of things. Whereas if I take the youngest guy, you know, Josiah, you know, he's, um, he's completely different. He's used to having everything done for him. Okay, which is why I now get him to do stuff on his own, uh, such as making his bed uh, in the morning, okay? In fact, the other day he asked me. Uh, he asked me to pay him for making his bed, um, you know. So I told him, "Well, if you uh, if you pay me for sleeping in the bed, maybe I'll think about paying you for uh, for making the bed." So anyway, that's just a little a little humorous aside. But the point is that you know the the birth order. You know, the second one tends to be. Uh, this may not always be true. Okay, I'm generalizing a little bit. Okay, the second one tends to be a little bit quiet, typically because they're dominated by the first one. Okay. Um, you know, uh, again, the the age difference between children, okay, the number of children, all of these things have an impact on the child and they shape who the child is. So, so if you've got a child that's somewhere in the middle and, um, you know, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, they tend to be sort of caught in the middle where, uh, you know, so, so, so if you take like my kids, okay, so if I've got, I've got nine kids, so somewhere in the way, one of them will be like another, Firstborn, you know, because the first three or four end up going away, and then you know, the fourth person or somebody becomes sort of more like a firstborn, right? Because they got to take on more responsibility. So, it's important to understand these things and how you know how the families, blend, how the, the personalities blend within the family, and all of these things can impact the child, okay? And a lot of these are things that you can't control the family you're born into, your birth order, right? Who your parents are, um, you know, the background of your parents. These are things that you can't control. The structure of family life is is generally, uh, for the most part, things that are outside your control. It just sort of happens, right? It's what it's what God allows. Um, so you move on and you look at the role, uh, the family roles. This has an influence. Okay, what is the role of the father and the mother? So uh, you know when we talk, and by the way, these these shaping influences impact people even you know when they become adults. Uh, you know, if you, if you talk to certain people, they will, uh, they have a certain image. So, so, you know, if you have an, uh, uh you know, we know, we know the roles as in scripture right. You have a, the man's role and woman's role, father and mother role. And, and very often in certain families, you'll find that, uh, you know, uh, the father, for example, is not very involved in the, uh, raising of children, right. Uh, it's a mother who does everything, okay? which is not, Really biblical, uh, but that's the way it is. And what happens then is that when that child grows up and becomes a parent uh, himself, um, you know, he thinks that his role is not to get involved; it's his wife's role to do everything, right? Uh, And uh, you know, uh, what is it that that children do? Okay, so if you grow up in a a home where you know the shaping influences that as a child you never did any work. Okay, you always had servants do the work; your parents did the work. You know. you know, as you grow up, you think you grow up with this influence that, you know, people are going to be there to do everything for you, right? You don't learn responsibility. Okay. So, so these kind of um, things can be, uh, and of course, this is one that you can shape, right? And as we go through this, I want you to think about what can we shape and what can we not. The first set of things about the family structure, you know, sort of a given, right? Not much you can do there. You just have to, what's important is how you respond to that and how you understand it. And then counteract some of the negatives that might be there, right? Um, You know, uh, but when it comes to the roles, it's important that you model the right roles to your children, right? Because that influences them, okay? Uh, If, um, you know, the way that the the father treats his wife, the the husband treats his wife, you know, has an influence on how the, the boys growing up, how they deal with women, okay? How they respect women, you know? Whether they respect them or don't respect them. Okay. So, so that's family rules. You look at family conflict resolution. Okay. So how does the family deal with conflict? You know, do they, some families don't want to talk about it. Okay. They don't want to talk about uh, the problems in their, in their home. Um, They just sort of hope that it goes away. Uh, They ignore the problems, right? Uh, Some will sit down and try to deal with them in a biblical biblical manner. Uh, or some will try to solve it by power that, you know, I'm the dad, I said, so that's the way it's going to be. Okay. So maybe it's conflict between husband and wife. Maybe it's conflict between the parent and the child. Um, You know, uh, how are these problems resolved? Does a family have a history of sitting down and and working their way through problems? Uh, Do they have a history of of going through, uh, uh, you know, uh, through a uh, sitting down and discussing problems and resolving and then another one is the family values. Okay, and this is really important. Okay, what is important to the parents? What what is the thing that causes a fuss, and what passes without notice? If you read the chapter, he talks about uh, you know in the in this matter of family values, um, you know about things that uh, you know he says. Uh, I recently asked a young lad of ten what would get him into the most trouble breaking a valuable vase or disobeying his parents' clear directive. Without a moment of hesitation, he said, it would be far worse to break a cherished vase. So how do you as parents respond to things that go wrong? Okay. Uh, You know, do you um, make more of a fuss over character issues uh, that uh, your your children, uh, you know, evidence, or do you make a bigger fuss when they mess something up? Or, you know, they do something to spoil your reputation, you know? Do they get the impression that people are, uh, people are more important than things or things are more important than people, right? What are the philosophies and ideas that the child hears? So when they hear you talk about your job, um, you know, what do they hear uh, about how you deal with your boss? So when you think about, for example, authority, okay, how do you deal with authority? What do they hear from you uh, about, you know, do they hear you always coming and complaining about your boss and about government and about police and about all these kind of things. Okay. So, so these are philosophies and ideas that children pick up. Okay. What do you get stressed over? What is it that causes you the most stress? Is it when you can't find something or is it when, you know, a child, uh, you know, uh, does, does something that displeases you or, or messes up your routine or, uh, you know, disturbs you when you don't want to be disturbed, right? Uh, you know, do you get stressed when uh, you know when uh, you know one of the things we all get stressed over is they're late, okay. So all of these things uh, again, you know, constitute family values that shape uh, the uh, the child. Okay, they're shaping Where does God fit into the families, right? So for example, you know, your uh, how often do you go to church? How 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 important do you take right? Do you show up to church on time? Uh, that shows how important because. child sees you rushing off to work because you can't be late okay and uh, then um, uh, you know uh, because uh, you um, uh, you know you uh, uh, you you know you're you're always rushing to make sure that you get to work on time but you don't have that same sense of urgency when you want to come to church right so what is the, the 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 vibes the signal that the child is getting from that it is obviously that your work is more important than your than church okay more important than god in some ways right uh, and, and and these are the, the things that they pick up right so family values is something it is it is a set of shaping influences that we do have a lot of control over we can be very deliberate about this and uh, and it's very important that that as parents we are prayerfully doing uh, you know prayerfully setting these kind of values that our children see Okay. And, and if we have things in our past, you know, in the structure of family that cause negativity with our families today, you know, we need to counteract those by making sure that we are shaping values that are very different. Now, what are the boundaries within the family? What is permitted? Okay. What are the limits within, within your family? Right. What is allowed? What is not allowed? Right. So all of these are, are aspects of family values. Okay. We talked about family roles and conflict resolution then how does a family respond to failure um, you know how does a family respond when the children fail so let's take an example that we can all maybe relate to you know your child uh, uh, fails an exam okay this is obviously a big thing in the indian culture you know you want your child to get you know 90% or whatever get an a plus uh, you know how do you make the child feel let's say the child uh, you know uh, they're in Sunday school and they're supposed to go and do some something, okay? And they they mess up, okay? How do you respond to that, right? Do you get mad at them? Do you make them feel foolish? Do you mock them? Do you compare them to other children, or do you encourage them, right? So this is really important as well, and this, these are influences that shape a child. Okay, as a child is growing up, if they feel that that they can't fail, like when they fail, um, you know, they're going to be um, you know, given um, uh, you know negative treatment, they're going to be um, you know not made to feel foolish. Okay? Then they will develop this fear of failure, right? And that can be really hampering to them, right? But encouragement, right? Again, there's a difference between failure due to child not working or not doing their best or whatever, versus you know this child does their best and they still fail, right? So, so you got to understand. Uh, you know, whether it's grades, whether it's performances, whether it's all of these kind of things, the way that you respond to that is forming a shaping influence in the right life of the child. Um, The history of the family, okay, Um, history of finances, as I said earlier, you know, how did the child grow up? Did they grow up in plenty or did they grow up with, you know, without that much, right? Uh, Has a family life been stable? Uh, Has there been constant change? Or was there a death in the family? Or did they lose a father or mother? Uh, all of these things can have, uh, you know, can influence the way that they think, you know, and uh, as we're going to see now, uh, what's important is not so much, you know, as I said, some of these you can control, some of these you can't control, right? Uh, but what is most important is how, you know, how do how do we train the child and how do we how does the child respond to these things? And that's where, uh, you know, But before I get there, let me just talk about, uh, I I did allude to this earlier, the mistakes, right? One is, one mistake in understanding shaping influences, assuming that the child is a helpless victim of the circumstances in which he was raised. In other words, you know, we just say, oh, well, you know, that child grew up without a father or without a mother or had an abusive father who left them and went away. And and therefore he's a helpless victim. What can you do, right? Um, The other is saying, is a denier saying that the child is unaffected. So you can say, well, that doesn't matter. Okay, so there's always, always a tendency uh, sometimes among Christians to say, well, it doesn't matter. You know, God is in control of everything and, and what happened to the child, you know, you should be able to overcome that. Both of these are sort of extremes, okay? So, um, you know, child rearing is not only about providing the best possible shaping influence. That's important. But, uh, you know, as I said earlier, good shaping influences will not automatically produce good children as I give you an example there uh, and many of you know other examples where you know children are brought up in the right way maybe they been to church they've done all the right things parents have been godly people still they're children you know we've seen children of evangelists go off you know uh, in the opposite direction uh, but what is important is how does a child respond right and that's where the shepherding comes in is there are these circumstances okay what you can control it's important that you control what you can uh, determine. It's important that you determine, but there are all these influences that come in the life of a child. And it's important that these are things that God allows in your life. And you as you and I, as parents have to use these to train the child to deal with it, right? And we ourselves have to deal with it and respond to them in a way that, that, uh, that allows that child to learn something about God and build this thing called Godward orientation. Okay, so Godward orientation of the child determines how he or she responds to shaping influences. Okay, so let's just turn to this passage in Proverbs chapter 9. I'll just read it here. Proverbs chapter 9, verses um, 7-10. Okay, Proverbs 9, it says, he who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself and he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will, he will be still wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is a beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Okay. So what, what are these verses telling us? It's telling us that you know that um, that um, you know that that correction and rebuke right um, you know depends on the uh, on, on the wisdom of the child right so if you give instruction to a wise man if you rebuke a wise man he will become wiser right if you teach a just man he will increase in learning and ultimately wisdom comes from the fear of the lord so how do you how do you make your children into wise children wise children who will listen to rebuke it's by instilling in them this fear of the Lord because that's the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Okay? And, um, and when we talk about Godward orientation, we're talking about who do children, you know, what do they learn about God? What do they learn, grow up understanding about God? And all children, you know, if you go back to, you know, David said, in sin, did my mother conceive me? Okay? Very often, um, you know, we think children don't know anything but children from the day they're born they have a certain you know a certain something in their mind if you go back go to Romans 1 18 and 19 you can read this on your own but it's talking about the the state of man right man is born in sin right And, uh, and and children either you know when they go through circumstances when they go through situations in their life they either respond to God by faith or suppress the truth right and those who suppress the truth in in unrighteousness You know, they, um, uh, if I can just go to that passage, I'll just read that out. The wrath of God, this is Romans 1 18, 19. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. So the tendency of, of human heart. Of the human heart is to suppress the truth of God. Okay, and we need to understand that our children are born with that tendency to suppress the truth of God, right? And uh, so they either respond to God by faith or they suppress the truth. And, and it's our job as parents to bring out the truth and help them to understand the truth, help them to understand how God fits into that circumstance, which will be a shaping influence on them. Uh, but only when they understand that will they. You know, will they will they be able to will really be able to shepherd their heart, right? And uh, you know, uh, when you look at at who God is, right? God is good. He's kind. He's holy. He has made all things for His glory. To know God is to is to know life, right? And uh, you know, when a child goes through a circumstance in their life, they can either respond to the goodness of God, the kindness of God, you know, with, with delight, with love, with worship, uh, wanting to know God and serve Him better, or they can respond by exchanging the truth for a life so worship and serve a created thing rather than the creator and this is idolatry so as your child is growing up you know they are they are there there's this conflict going on you know between god and idols okay um and they are starting to develop certain things in their life that become idols for them whether it's impressing other people whether it's fear of other people or whether it's love of stuff okay love of money right so Idolatry that we have in our life today is, is comes from you know from things that developed while we were still children, um, or they can respond to the goodness and kindness of God. They can be thankful to God. They can learn to be content. All depends on how you help them respond to that. Right. So the child may not always realize this when they're growing up, but they uh, serve God or they serve idols. And when we look at some of these these verses here, right, Psalm. Uh, 58 verse 3, right? Uh, I I mentioned that earlier. Even from birth, the wicked go astray from the womb, they are wayward and speak lies. So, very often, parents uh, don't want to talk to them because they think that, you know, this is too, this stuff is too deep. Okay? We don't want to talk about sin. We don't want to even consider that maybe our children are sinners. Right? But you have to have this understanding that your child is born in sin. They're not only born in sin, they're conceived in sin, right? Uh, Psalm 51.5, David says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Okay, so even a child in the womb, coming from the womb, is wayward and sinful. Okay, so, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, we have this wrong idea that man becomes a sinner because he sins. That's not true, right? The truth of the word of God is that man is a sinner and therefore he sins. He doesn't become a sinner because he sins He sins because he is a sinner. And and we need to first of all accept and understand that that every child is a sinner. Right? And we need to tune them toward this Godward orientation in dealing with the things that happen. So what are some of the idols? Uh, What are some of the idols in their life? Uh, The fear of man. So, you know, when you start and and think about this as we're going through this, think about all the ways in which we instill these this kind of idolatry into the life of our children okay into the thinking the psyche of our children okay fear of man how do we do that okay we we tell we tell them well you can't you know uh, say you've got a somebody older a somewhat older kid and they wear some clothes and you say you can't wear that clothes but well, why not but think about what people are going to say okay what are we teaching them we're teaching them the idolatry of fear of man we're not Explain to them why that clothing may not be of a nature that that uh, that honors God, right? Uh, evil desires, lust, pride, conformity to the world, right? Trying to be more like the world. So you buy them the uh, you know the latest fashions and the latest kind of thing. What are you teaching them? That like, you know what these are the things that are fashionable in the world. So it's important that you have them, right? Uh, so as we respond in these ways, we are not you know we are not giving them a godward orientation we're giving them more more of an orientation towards a world and an orientation towards the i uh, towards idolatry right paul says that set your affections on things above and not on things below okay so so these are this is this is the importance of godward orientation and what does it mean for us in terms of raising children okay so the implications for raising children uh, are two things I'll say. One is number one, that, uh, that we provide the best possible, um, you know, the best possible uh, shaping influences that we can, so the things that we control, right? So structuring of the home, it should be healthy, it should be constructive, it should give them stability, it should give them security, they should always feel secure at home, they should feel that their needs, are, their needs, we go back to our lesson on financial um, you know, principles, right? Um, and uh, their needs are taken care of okay? uh, uh, the quality of the relationships in your home should reflect the grace of God and mercy for sinners so the relationship between husband and wife the relationship between you and the children, you know, how do you teach your children or, or, or train them towards this Godward, godly orientation okay? or godward uh, orientation you know, when, you, when you do something wrong, you know, a lot of parents feel like they can't go and apologize to their children you know, uh, when they have done something wrong, when they've gotten angry or they've lost their cool, right? To admit that they are also sinners, okay, that helps children to understand that, you know what, my parents judge themselves by God's standard and so I also need to do that as well, right? Um, The quality of relationships in your home should reflect the grace of God and mercy for sinners. Punishments should be appropriate and reflect a holy God's view of sin. So, you know, why why do you punish the children? Is it... uh, uh, is it because you know your ego has been hurt? Uh, is it because uh, uh, you know you're worried about them embarrassing you, or is it because you know they've done something sinful? And God is a holy God, and He hates sin, right? The value of values of your home should be scripturally informed. So again, you know uh, what you spend money on, what kind of uh, lavish lifestyle you live or don't. All of these things drive your value, right? So so we need to we need to take these shaping influences. Especially the ones we can control seriously, and we need to build these shaping influences in a way that uh, that uh, you know that, that are positive for the children. But more than that, we need to understand that shepherding a child's heart involves developing a Godward orientation and responding to shaping influences. Okay, so so uh, you know how do they respond to the goodness and mercy of God? You know how do they do that in faith and not in unbelief? How do they grow to love? and trust the living God and not turn to idolatry and self-reliance, right? So so simple things like when you're going through a difficult time, you know, maybe uh, you're struggling to put food on the table, okay? Uh, or uh, maybe you've lost your job, okay? Or maybe you've got some serious issue, a health issue in the family, a parent or another child uh, has gotten sick with some kind of a terminal illness. You know, how do you respond to that, right? So you can see, uh, you know, many uh, many families where children, when something like that happens, say, a sibling dies, okay, due to, um, you know, due to uh, an illness, right? Uh, It's very traumatic, Um, you know, uh, and many children will sometimes as they grow up, especially if they're a little older, uh, that can become a pivotal uh, event in their lives that takes them away from God, right? So they, uh, you know, because at that point in time, their view of God is such that you know, they think that that's unfair. Okay, What has happened is unfair. Why did God do that? Why did he allow that? Okay, and then they can turn away from the faith, right? So that's turning away from that Godward orientation in responding to those shaping influences. So uh, these are things that happen that we can't change, but it's very important that that they turn to God, that we train their hearts, we, 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 we impress upon them, uh, and they see us relying on God in those circumstances. So the point I'll make here is just this, that, That uh, there are a lot of things in our in our backgrounds that we can control. There are a lot of things that we can control. The ones that we do, it's important that we do the right things there. But beyond that, what is more important than that is is how we respond to that. The example that we set. That's why Deuteronomy six, God says that you know you need to understand the word and you need to live by it, right? So that you can be an example to your children. Okay, and so your children look at you. You cannot expect your children to be any more spiritual than you are okay you cannot expect your children to respond to problems as they grow up any much differently than the way you do okay so how do you respond to problems in your home um you know if that doesn't show a godward orientation you can't expect you know if you think about life as a whole there's always this principle of deterioration you know uh you know that um uh, you know, you reap the the when you sow the wind. You reap the whirlwind, right? That you know, you may be doing things at a certain level. You know, not all of that may, may make its way down to your children, right? So, so if you know, you can never, by the grace of God, it can be different. And we know that God sometimes pulls people out of difficult circumstances and brings them up. But you know, why has God put these children in our homes, in Christian homes? Okay, that's because He's He's given them uh, much different situation than say your typical child who's brought up you know we have testimonies of some of our brothers and sisters in cbf who were brought up you know without with fathers who were drunkards or who were were wife abusers and all these kind of things and we, we hear from them how that scarred them okay and then we see that god in his grace still reaches out and pulls them out okay but you know i believe that god has placed our children in our homes you know, with the intent that we will model the right things to them. He's given our children a blessing and that blessing is that they are placed in a Christian home. They are placed in a home where the father and mother know the Lord. Okay. And so how sad it is if we don't live our lives as parents, as husbands and wives, uh, in a way that shows, you know, the love of God, that shows the grace of God to our children. You know, we are taking that position of advantage Okay. And destroying it completely. Right. Uh, You know, and, and God may still be gracious. He might still bring them through it, you know, through, through various means. Uh, But we have squandered an opportunity, you know, if we don't model this kind of Godward orientation to our children. Okay. And, uh, you know, we'll just uh, close with an example of Joseph. And I'm just going to read, you know, uh, read what's in the book here. If you have the book, you can follow along on page 23, the bottom part. You know, this is an example of Joseph and how Joseph uh, is a biblical character who had a lot of things happen in his life. Okay, he was, uh, you know, the, the second last son of, of Jacob, the patriarch. Uh, and, and you all know the story, but let me just read this. You know, biblical stories show that shaping influences are not the whole story. So here we see, he's making the point I said earlier, that just because things go wrong, Circumstances go wrong. It doesn't mean that the child has to come out on the wrong side. Okay. Um, You know, shaping influences are not the whole story. Think of Joseph. His childhood experience was far from ideal. His mother died while he was young. He was his father's favorite. His dreams inflamed his brother's hatred. He was further alienated from them uh, by his father's gift of a coat that set him apart as their authority. His brothers betrayed him. He was thrown into a pit. Opportunistic slave traders bought him to profit from his resale value. He was double-crossed in Potiphar's house despite his honor and his integrity. He was imprisoned. Even there, he was forsaken by those whom he had helped, like the baker and the butler. Here was a man who, you would ex- a man you would expect to be bitter, cynical, resentful, and angry. If man is only the sum total of influences that shape him, that would have been the result. So if, if man is only the sum total of influences that shape him, Joseph would have been a bitter, cynical, resentful, and angry man. Instead, what do we find? When his brothers threw themselves on the ground, Begging for mercy, Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children and be reassured. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This is in Genesis chapter 50 verses 19 to 21. So how do we explain Joseph? That he had a lens through which he viewed all the events of life. In the midst of difficult shaping influences, he entrusted himself to God. God made him a man who responded out of a living relationship with God. He loved God and found his orientation not in the shaping influences of his life, but in the unfailing love and covenant mercies of God. So you see this, the point here, he had a lens through which he viewed all the events of life. Okay? And that's what Godward Orientation is about, is having that lens, okay, that says, you know, whatever is happening in our life, I look through that lens and then all of a sudden it looks very different. It's like having that colored lens. You know, if you look, you have a blue tinted uh, you know, glass, you look through it, everything has that haze of blue, right? You change the color, it looks different. You know, we need to have those biblical lenses. okay? And uh, in our job as parents, uh, is to, you know, provide the best shaping influences, but then also train up our child to have that lens, the lens of the word of God, the lens of, of who God is, his nature, his character, right? And, sh- and use that to shape their hearts so that when they look at things in life, so that that lens stays with them. And later on, you know, when they're on their own, and they're looking at life, they start looking uh, through that lens. And it's not an easy thing, uh, but uh, it requires effort. It requires... Constant, um, you know, uh, constant uh, deliberate effort on our part, and, and that, and all the things we're going to talk about coming on now, you know, things about authority and uh, communication and the word, you know, correction. All of these things are about, you know, how do you go about giving your child this lens? You know, how do you go about developing a Godward orientation? Okay, and and frankly, you know, the advantage that all of you have that all of us have as parents who know the Lord and desire to live for the Lord, you know, is that presumably we are supposed to live by this lens. You know, we have this advantage you know, that we know what this is so that we can give this to them. Think of all the children who don't have that, right? And, uh, and what an advantage our kids are, are at because of this. But then, you know, the, the, the flip side of that is that we we often, you know, we, uh, we lose that advantage, okay? We, by our own actions, by our own uh, sort of adoption of worldly standards by responding to circumstances in our life in a worldly way, you know, our children pick that up, right? And then you're sort of marring that lens, you know, the lens of God word doesn't look, it's not as clear anymore, okay? It becomes a faded mirror, right? And, and, and if you're not looking at things that way, if you're not teaching them to look at things that way, they start looking at it from a worldly way, and then instead of a God word orientation, they start building these little idols in their life, okay? So that's uh, that's pretty much what I had to cover in the lesson today. Um, and uh, next week, we'll talk about, uh, you know, you're in charge. Please do read chapter four. Uh, I don't see any questions. So I don't know if anybody wants to jump in and make some comments. Maybe, uh, maybe you have some illustrations or, uh, you know, or uh, examples from your own life where you have seen you know, and some of the things you've done to give your children a God-God orientation. Please, please do share. I know everybody's hesitant, uh, but, you know, the more that you share uh, about these things and your experiences, I think that would be an encouragement to others. So, uh, I'll just open it up. Anybody wants to jump in and ask any questions or or share? Again, we're just setting the foundations here. We'll start getting into the more practical parts later. the of the mute button. Charlie.
1: Uh, yeah george and uh, yeah um yeah coming to uh, coming to shaping influences i think uh, i think one of the things that uh, i have found to be effective is uh, when we take certain decisions for the family mm-hmm. uh, the kids often i mean they have a different uh, way of seeing as to what is right and wrong mm-hmm. and sometimes instead of I mean, the natural tendency is to just brush them aside and say, no, this is what we are going to do. But uh, sometimes I've seen that uh, just sitting and explaining to them as to why certain decisions are taken and and, and what is the lens that we are putting on when we are making a decision uh, actually helps them to reason as well. Uh, We may not convince them with our first decision, but eventually as they see how we are taking decisions, uh, I have seen that uh, they are also over a period of time able to understand that okay, this is how decisions are taken. In yeah. this is it? Yeah. So I've seen that uh, work.
0: Yeah, so Charlie, you're, you're absolutely right. Thank you for sharing that because um, it's uh, even in the small decisions, right? Uh, you know, and the more they see that and what they learn by that is the example is that for you, you know, the way we make this decision is, is what is what is the driving view, the driver behind it, right? What is the force? What is the motivation behind it? And why do we decide to do this thing or not do that thing? Go in this direction and not in that direction, and very often we make the mistake of thinking that children don't understand, we we undervalue their capacity to pick things up. But you're actually absolutely right, uh, you know, to the point I made about them learning from our example. You know, the more they see us making decisions guided by the word of God, you know, even decisions like where we send them to school, right? So, for example, you're sending them to a particular school, and uh, you know, I know there have been some parents here. um, you know, who, who uh, were ch- sending their children to a certain school and they felt like, you know, the, the kind of stuff being taught there, right, was, was, was wrong, you know, in a particular direction from a religious perspective or whatever, right? It was teaching them the wrong things and they took a decision to take them out of that school and put them somewhere else, right? Discussing that with them and helping them understand the basis, the foundation on which we make decisions, uh, that develops that Godward orientation in them. And you start that at a young age so that they start building up that, uh, that knowledge, okay? Uh, I, have a, uh, I have a private question here. What if you yourself have been through emotional trauma or abuse as a child and carried on later in life as well? How do you then parent a child in a way that is not affected by your baggage? Yeah, so uh, thank you uh, to the person who asked that question. And, uh, you know, I mentioned... The example of people who didn't grow up in a in a home like a, a godly home a, a believing home a christian home and and have been through storm and that's exactly why uh, you know this the whole point of this lesson really addresses that right so it is that shaping influence and you need to be aware right of of that shaping how your shaping influences might be getting reflected in the way that you are dealing with the children so Remember the point I made here, right? The shaping influence is not, um, you know, I think uh, it's in, uh, if I can go back to the, uh, the slides there, um, you know, what I talked about, the mistake, right? Uh, the mistakes on shaping influences, you know, assuming the child is a helpless victim of the circumstance in which he was raised. Okay, so I'll just expend that to say, you know, assuming that because you went through that circumstance, Therefore, you and your next generation, everybody is going to be scarred. Okay. Uh, the good news is that you are, if you are now in Christ. Okay. Christ has forgiven you, right? He has taken you out of uh, out of that uh, circumstance, right? And uh, and He has given you a new life. Okay. Number one. Number two. You know that this can have an impact, and therefore you go and you appeal to the grace of God, and you are cognizant about this danger, and you prayerfully make your decisions and you you, you get counsel, you know, you, you immerse yourself in the word of God and you, you cry out to God for his mercy that, you know what, God, I was brought up with the abuse, I experienced abuse, please, you know, and, and, you know, you pray, pray and ask for the grace of God that, that you would be, you know, you would not reflect that in your relationship with your children, right? That baggage, uh, understanding that baggage can translate and impact your children uh, you know, if we start saying, you know, uh, using that past as a reason why to justify what we're doing or not doing with our children, then, you know, you, you go into that danger zone. Right? So, so it's very important, uh, you know, uh, I, I think the rest of the questions, but it's sort of scary to even think that I would make a good parent. I guess the main thing is much prayer. That's absolutely right. So, so you answered your own question there. Um, you know, the, uh, Just keep in mind, you know, let's not discount the grace of God. God uh, has brought you out of that, right? He has given you a new life. He has adopted you as a child, despite your background, you know. He doesn't hold that against you. Um, And so we are not, you know, we don't have to be slaves to our past, okay? Uh, And God can break you free of that. But having said that, you're absolutely right. It requires much prayer uh, and it requires that awareness, right? Awareness of the dangers of my past coming in and interfering, uh, it, it requires that you and your husband, uh, you know, um, that both of you understand this, you understand what you have been through and that you have that strong relationship and you serve as a guard on each other, right, uh, to be able to prevent these kind of you know, past, the experience of the past from, from becoming something, uh, you know, becoming a danger in, in, in the life of your children. Okay, good question. Any other questions or any comments? Please do share examples. If you guys, if you have good examples or bad examples, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, please do share.
1: Jachandr Kishore here. Yeah, um, sure. I have a question. So I think this also refers to a figure that you showed in the first session that was authority, authority mm-hmm. is given but it isn't to be executed in an authoritarian way. Yeah. And, um, related to that and being a negative um, um, influential figure in your child's life, uh, how do you find the balance between requiring discipline and yet not being, um, how do I say, overly violent in yeah. that sense? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I find it difficult. You are yeah. either lenient and you ignore it, which is not good. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you are. it almost seems like you're unnecessarily um, disciplining your child out too many times you're disciplining a child, or you're you're just whacking them too many. Times. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. Just, that's the
0: two extremes that I find in myself. No, I yeah, you're right. Uh, so so we we'll talk more about that when we get to discipline. But uh, but I think that distinction is important, right? Is is to do the disciplining in love, and for a purpose, right? So when you're when you're disciplining in anger, your motive can't be right. Okay. The, the 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 anger of man does not uh, you know bring about the righteousness of God. Okay, there's a verse that says that. So keep in mind, uh, you know, and, and that, I, at this point I'll just say that and leave it at that. Because we will we will dwell or we will deal with that particular topic uh, in detail when we get to the part about discipline. How can you discipline without anger? How can you discipline in a way that the child uh, is still understands? Uh, you know, the, the motive behind it, understands the, the, the intent behind it and they see that you're doing it out of love, right? And out of concern for them and out of mostly um, and most importantly, out of obedience to God, right? I am punishing you not because I am angry. I'm punishing you not because uh, you embarrass me. I'm punishing you not because, um, you know, for any other reason, but I'm punishing you because you have violated the law of God and, and of a holy God, right? And again, you know, that varies by age and all that kind of thing. So we'll, we'll talk more about that later. Okay? Um, so uh, let me uh, just uh, hold on one second. Um, so it says, uh, next, the other question I have here says, Hi, children get influenced by external forces like friends in the society or classmates in the school. Their expectations as sometimes could be influenced by them. Say I need an expensive bicycle, with more gears how do we set the right expectations and guide them right in those situations yeah so so again this is a perfect example of of uh, of that godward orientation versus idolatry okay so you know why does your child and it's a, it's actually a great opportunity to sit down and explain to your, to your child you know that says you know what uh, you know we don't uh, you know we don't judge things or we don't judge uh, you know we don't compare ourselves to other people right uh, and again, it's not that there's anything wrong with buying a, a, a cycle for the child. Uh, certainly, children have desires. Certainly, we have a desire to give them certain things to enjoy themselves. Nothing wrong with that, right? But the important thing is, is what is the attitude we're developing in the child, right? So, if every time the child comes and says, you know, my friend has this, get me this, you do it, then you're teaching, you're actually teaching the child that whatever his whims and fancies are, whatever his his wants are you know, we're always willing to give it to him, okay, and that, that is going to create a major problem later on, because that whole thing of, you know, wanting, wanting, wanting becomes an idol in and of itself, so that's a great opportunity, and you have to, you have to ask yourself, okay, now, it's not that, therefore, every time the child wants something, I say no, okay, maybe it is that I say no at that point in time, but later I get it, you want to look at your own situation, can I afford it, right, go back to the lesson on finances, you know, uh, can I, and, and then, Even if I can afford it, what message am I sending to the child? Okay. And maybe you got something for it last time, but now you say, you know what? Uh, It's not good. This is not, you know, this is not the right way to look at things. Whenever we want something, we just go out and get it. Right. And that's a great opportunity to teach them that, you know, this is God's money that God has given us. It doesn't belong to us. Right. So let's ask ourselves this question. You know, is this something that God really wants? And Then you can encourage the child to pray. Okay, pray that, uh, you know, you want a bike, you submit your, uh, your desire to the Lord. Okay, bike or whatever it is. Okay, You submit that desire to the Lord and, and you maybe give them a chance. Because you know, I've heard stories of parents who maybe couldn't afford something, but they asked the child to pray. And then, you know, a few months later, somebody brought them a gift, uh, you know, of that. And, and you can just imagine what that does to the child versus you just giving it to them and them praying and the Lord answering that prayer, right? If the Lord doesn't answer the prayer, you know, you tell them, you teach them then that, you know what, the Lord is sovereign. He knows what's best for you, you know, and maybe he doesn't want you to have a bike at this point in time. He's using bike as an example. So, so these are, as we go through this lesson, you'll find that, you know, the way you train children is not, you know, Deuteronomy 6 says, you know, when you sit down, when you stand up, you know, when you walk by the way, right? Uh, It's not just formal teaching. You have to teach them in the flow of life right and this is a great example to teach them and bring that god word orientation into their thinking in the flow of life so so these are great opportunities when you children so you should get upset at your child and 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 scold them because they keep coming back and saying well johnny's got this or you know somebody's got this can i have it right can i have that and my kids say this all the time you know can i uh, you know, can I get a better computer? Can I get a better phone? Can I get that? Can I get this? Right, and uh, you know, it's think of all of these as teaching opportunities because it should not be surprising that your child, uh, you know, is selfish. It not be surprising that your child always wants whatever it pleases them. Okay, because after all, they're sinners, right? Their their orientation is towards themselves. It's towards selfishness, right? And and our job is to shepherd their heart away from that you know, towards the Godly orientation, okay? So so I, I would take these as great opportunities, you know, and thank the Lord for them, and then ask the Lord to give you wisdom to deal with, okay? For a while. So I think uh, it's almost 12.45, so I want to wrap it up. Um, please do uh, read uh, chapter four in the book, okay? Uh, as I said, chapter four is, you are in charge, and this is all about authority, okay? And what, what it means to have authority uh, in the home, uh, and then after that, the following week we will study about examining your goals. So uh, please uh, read this chapter. It's uh, it's not a very very long chapter, as I said. Uh, it's about ten pages, maybe uh, yeah, about ten pages. So please read uh, chapter four in the book before next week. And if you have other questions, feel free to send them to me by WhatsApp or whatever. Yeah. Thank you, everyone.